and welcome to this edition of our SkyTrain podcast series. Thanks for tuning in. Today you're going to hear an interview with Mark Pincala of Altitude about how to start a VC, and should you. This interview was recorded at our SkyTrain members meetup on November 2nd, 2022. We will hear Mark's insights on how to decide to start a venture firm, shaping your investment thesis, and the current market for raising funds. But before we get to it, I'd like to share a quick word about us and SkyTrain. Silicon Ali is Berlin's innovation network, connecting the hottest startup ecosystem in Europe to the rest of the world through events, content, and funding. And SkyTrain is Silicon Ali's transatlantic network of LPs, fund managers, and angels with a specific focus on helping U.S. investors access the German market. Through regular events, knowledge exchange, and content, we're giving LPs and co-investors access to a booming market which consistently outreturns U.S. venture capital, and we're making it easier for the next generation of Berlin-based fund managers to get started. So if you're an LP, a GP, angel, or a future investor, be sure to check out our upcoming SkyTrain events happening in the U.S., Berlin, and online. Plus, our content series that is demystifying the process of investing in Germany. Visit siliconalee.com skytrain to find out more. And for more information on Silicon Ali, you can find us on social media and online at siliconalee.com. That's Silicon A-double-L-double-E. Now, on with the show. So hello and welcome again. I am Travis Todd, co-founder of Silicon Ali. First, I want to turn it over to Mark to say hello and introduce himself and briefly his work and investment history. So take it away, Mark. Thanks a lot. It's a pleasure to be here. Happy to see all of you. I'm going to keep it very, very crisp. I'm an entrepreneur by heart, but we see by choice. So I actually built some companies, some more and some less successful. When I sold, one is profitable, one is bankrupt, and one is doing okay. So it was quite a nice journey and kind of gave me like the whole skill set of actually talking about entrepreneurship and speaking and investing into startups. Because if you have not walked in their shoes, it's very hard to be authentic at the end of the day. From there, I kind of moved into venture capital. So for the past a little over 10 years, I've been investing early stage into startups around the globe, mostly in Europe and Latin America and some investments in the US. And from there, I kind of moved into angel investing. So if you're a VC too long, you kind of get the hybrid that you can do this as an angel as well. So I did so and I have a portfolio of roughly 30 companies, including some funds. And some were performing super well, some were performing awfully, but it's been very interesting to do a portfolio construction as an angel and see how different you behave and invest when you take your own money compared to when you invest some somebody else's money. And for the past two years, after I left my last position in venture capital, I started to work with a bunch of emergent fund managers and kind of help them to actually build funds because it's very interesting because there's a strong market inefficiency. Why is that? People who are building funds are usually either VCs, angels, or founders, all three. They group, so they find two or three other peers. Then they go to a lawyer, ask them to build the structure, pay them 150K, and then they have a structure and they have a team. Interestingly, there's nobody helping them on a commercial structuring. So how do you actually build the fund? How do the economics work? How do I build a fund model? And at the end of the day, how do I actually kind of sum this up in a deck and a fund model and sell this to LPs with an underlying investment strategy or fundraising strategy? And that's why I actually help plenty, not only merging managers, but as well corporates and family offices on kind of structuring their efforts in venture capital. And if you do this for too long, you wake up some morning and you realize you're a consultant. So this is something I never wanted to be. So I kind of decided uh, it's so much fun to work with smart people, but I actually want to do it myself again. So earlier this year, I kind of grouped with 
two fantastic peers, my partners in crime, and uh, we established Altitude, which is an early stage fund. And I'm not going to take a look at this later, but that's what I'm doing right now. So we created the fund. We're in the middle of our fundraise, aiming to deploy early next year. So that's me. Thanks, Mark. I think, as you can tell, you're a great asset to this network of emerging fund managers. We're happy to have you on board. We're super stoked to have you part of this network because you're exactly the right person to talk about building new venture funds and instructing them. So thank you again for joining us. I want to kick off the topic with, it seems like to me that the interest in venture and the amount of new funds, has, yourself included, has just exploded in the last year. Why do you think that is? Do you see something that has caused this explosion of new fund managers and new funds? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. I actually thought about it a lot, and I think there's multiple reasons to it. So it's not a binary answer. First of all, the maturity of the market. So venture capital is more accessible. It's very mature. It's very easy to establish a fund by now. It's cheaper to establish a fund. There's platforms such as Vauban, which literally, with some clicks, create you a fund which you could use to invest out of Luxembourg. So as the market is so mature, I think it as well attracted lots of people who thought, hey, this is my opportunity. I can do it cheap. I can do it fast. And I might have gathered the experience as either a founder, an angel, or like running syndicates as a solo GP. And maybe it's the right timing in an up market to kind of formalize this in the fund structure. And I think one very interesting aspect about that is that the people who start funds, especially emerging fund managers, they don't build broad funds looking at all verticals and stages. They're super, super focused, laser sharp in one industry, one stage. They kind of perfectionalize their domain expertise and that's how they create an edge. And that's why we had like within the past two, three years, a massive run for micro, nano and solo GPs, which is kind of um, A, very cool and B, very interesting because all of a sudden these small funds are out competing the established ones because they have a very strong domain expertise. I think that's great to focus there. You said on the yeah, those laser focus of these micro funds. I want to get to that in just a second. But just in general, do you think this kind of explosion of new funds and new managers is in general a good or a bad thing for the VC industry and or for founders? Yes and no. I, I'm very undecided. So I, I think it's fantastic because it, it adds more diversification in general to venture capital. The specialization part adds a lot of value to startups. So I think it's more interesting to raise money from somebody who actually knows what he's talking about in a specific industry, sub-vertical or whatsoever, compared to somebody who just gives you money. The downside is, as there has been too much money in the market due to zero interest, due to people being very interested in the asset class, there was a lot of like industry or like people raising money which they should have not received because they are not the most professional or most knowledgeable or the right person to actually raise money and then deploy the money after all. So I think there's some industries and some people where I would say, "Hmm, I don't know, maybe they've been just very lucky with the timing in a market like these days, they would have a very tough time to actually raise money. Awesome. Man, you are just teeing me up for these segues. This is great because my <laughs> my next topic was we had a great amount of interest in this topic today. And there's a lot of people who are thinking of getting into VC or are already in VC. And hopefully we can remind them why they got into it or teach them a new thing or two. But for those thinking about getting into VC, who, in your opinion or in your data or your experience, make the best fund managers? Who are these people that should be getting the money? It's a very interesting question due to the fact that it's like there's people who raise money which have absolutely no clue, but they have one fantastic talent. They have a network and the charm to raise money. Yeah. And that's the, the the hardest step. That's the toughest thing you're going to do as a fund manager, raise money, convince people to give you money. 
it's interesting because you can slightly compare it to a startup. When a startup raises money, it's like you have a business plan and you tell people, hey, this is going to be super cool. I'm going to make you rich. Give me two million in a pre-seed round. With a fund, it works similar, but you're not raising two million. You want to have 20, 50 or 100 million. So the, the actual sell to these LPs is way tougher because you're going to raise way more. But at the end of the day, what's the best profile? To be honest, I don't know. I think it, it is definitely helpful if you have been working in venture capital. So you know certain patterns, you know how to invest, you know the pitfalls, you, you've done your mistakes. It's definitely helpful if you have been an angel before because it's a different way of investing. You don't have the power. The only thing you're actually bringing to the table is your knowledge because your money well, it's a commodity. There's a lot of people who have more money than you. So you're most likely selling a brand. You're selling your knowledge, your experience. And that's why people bring you to the cap table. And I think what's surely helpful if you have like a domain expertise, if you come from a certain background and then you build a fund around it. So you have been working in biotech for 20 years. Well, it's it's likely or it does make sense if you kind of operate and invest in this uh, kind of industry because you bring knowledge to the table. And as money became a commodity within the past years, having like this special power and unfair advantage domain knowledge kind of became mandatory. Otherwise, you will not be able to win deals. So after all, summarizing it, I think it's a complete set of a person. It's like you have the background and the skill set on the one hand. You're charming and you could fundraise on the other and uh, you bring certain treats to the table to actually go through the valley of tears of fundraising. Great. So now as we're thinking about getting into VC, you know, the topic of this discussion being how to get into VC or should you, I'm going to drop a resource here, but it's also available on our SkyTrain website to an amazing worksheet that you created. If you've run a startup before, or you've been involved in design thinking, I think you'll realize the format. This is your emerging VC manager canvas. And I think it's just a great resource for gut checking why you want to get into VC, what you want to do, how you're going to differentiate yourself, all those things to set yourself apart. Briefly, like what inspired you to create this? And maybe you could, without going into too much detail, go into how you envision people would use it. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I only created this because I've been very selfish. Um, <laughs> when I le uh, left my last job, I started to consult and work with lots of emergent fund managers. And after like half a year, I noticed all of them have the same questions. And I was like, okay, I can make my life very hard and ask these questions and kind of pull them out of the hat and try to get them to the point where they actually can create a deck and go out. Or I create a format where they just kind of go and check themselves whether they have thought about certain things. And the most apparent tool which came to my mind was the canvas. I was like, this is helping millions of startups around the globe. And I was thinking and assuming that there's such canvas for funds. To my surprise, there was not. And so I was like, wow, that's, that's interesting. I don't know why. Uh, it's probably not because I'm the smartest person on earth. It's just because I'm the first one actually putting this into a PDF. So I actually started doing this and I kind of refined it, speaking to some emerging fund managers. And I thought, hey, this is a cool tool to actually get going, at least on a mental mindset. Phase. Like thinking about a fund, what are the core elements which I have to consider? What should I be able to answer before I go into this journey? If you don't have a question to all of these answers, don't even start to consider building a fund. And that was the main driver. And I think there's room to refine it even further. And it doesn't apply to everyone. But if you're like building a micro nano solo GP fund, I think it's a perfect starting point to kind of, you know, create the framework of which questions do I have to answer? And interestingly, out of these questions, there's going to be 200 more questions, which will eventually derive. So it's just a starting point. 
Absolutely. And I think it's also a great, you know, starting point for even building your first VC deck for anyone looking to get into the business. It's definitely great homework. So out of those sections, what would you say are maybe the most important considerations for emerging managers? I think there's one. There's there's only one. Like there's, okay. there's lots of administrative stuff, lots of stuff you have to think about. But there's in probably 80% of all the questions, there's not too much room to differentiate. VC and funds by now are very standardized. So there's two ways to break out. And one is the unfair advantage or something I like to call it. It's like, how do you actually differentiate? What's the value you're bringing to the table? What are you selling to ALPs and B to startups? And if you want to narrow down venture capital in one sentence, it's literally only sourcing, picking, winning, repeat. That's the only thing you do. You try to kind of enlarge the pool of deals you see. You kind of try to understand which one are the legible one you want to look at. Once you chose them, you try to win these deals. So you have to explain to the founders why they should take you and not like all the lighthouse funds and all the other funds, which are maybe more loaded with money or with more experience. And then you have to show that you can repeat this. It's a defensible asset, something nobody else can copy like this just because they have money or whatsoever. And this is the toughest part to kind of carve out from like the whole thinking about a fund. The second aspect, if there's a second one, is the actual investment strategy. How do you build like a bulletproof investment strategy? And how does it look at the end of the day? And this is something which will then end up in the fund model. So you have to build a fund model in terms of portfolio construction, in terms of returns, in terms of expectations, in terms of like 200 variables, which you will use eventually to build that model, which is not only compelling, but as well flawless, showing an NLP, hey, look, I'm not going to lose your money because my portfolio is constructed in a certain way without capping my the upside. As an example, you can just build a portfolio and invest into a thousand companies, likelihood that you will lose the money is exactly zero you will definitely return 1x. So nobody's going to lose money. But if you construct a portfolio like this, you, you literally cap the upside because the outlier, if you actually happen to have this one, N26, WeFox, whatever, Facebook, uh, name them all, it's not relevant. Looking at 1,000 deals, if you invest the same amount in, in all of the companies, it's not relevant. So it's a nice construction, but it's not appealing. If you invest into 10 companies, well, you either make zero or you make 20x but you have to find the middle ground building a compelling fund model. So I think only the unfair advantage and the investment strategy can give you a main differentiation between your fund and other funds in your peer group. So stage, size, industry. Fantastic. I wanted to ask you, Mark, you've helped a lot of emerging managers start funds, as you said before. And what are some of the most common stumbling blocks you think for first-time managers besides kind of deciding on these top-level things? That's a that's a tough question. <laughs> is it really just this making those decisions that are the biggest stumbling blocks? No, I, I think that the first one is actually from having an idea, actually doing it. I mean, it, it doesn't seem uh, super apparent that like, you know, you have to year obviously you do it now because there's a small step in between. You actually have to go and mandate a lawyer and a kind of sign an obligation or a liability that you will pay him at some point. So the obligation is definitely on you and the team if you don't happen to raise the funds so you can charge these costs to the LPs well, you have to cover the liability and still pay the lawyer. So I think that, that that's one thing. Another one is like some people do assume that they will be quite quick in fundraising, especially these days. It's not like the six month or 12 month, which you will usually assume to get to first or final close. It, it's way more time. So you kind of overexpect your ability and underestimate how tough it is to raise because, well, no surprise, there's like a couple hundred other people trying to target the same group of people like LPs. 
and from high nets to family offices to fund of funds, institutionals, or whomever you can imagine would be investing into funds. So I think these are the rather the bigger challenges along the way. And one thing is like kind of validating the thesis. So just because you have an idea of something which could work in the market, selling to LPs and selling as well to startups that they take your money, it's not that easy in reality. So you get a lot of pushbacks, a lot of people will challenge you. And it's quite like an iterative process, like in a startup, to get from the idea to the thesis and from the thesis something which makes sense, which you have not considered and which is not flawless, but which is totally, hey, yeah, this is definitely something you're on. And I think these are the, the toughest things. Yeah, that's, I think for me, coming from being a startup founder myself and now learning more and more about VC, it's always been so amazing to me to see how analogous the two are in terms of really the stumbling blocks, the stresses. And I think being able to kind of empathize with VCs on that process also makes for better founders as well. Yeah, totally. On the other side, like what's the biggest surprise you've had while running a venture fund? What was something that you didn't expect either in a in a good way or I guess also in a bad way? Yeah, there's multiple things. First of all, you're more wrong, more often wrong than you're right. So obviously in by nature, you just want to be right. You think about something, then you execute it and you just want to win. And by winning, I mean like you just want to be right. And this is something people have like just in themselves. In venture capital, it's not necessarily like that. So you have to get used to be wrong a lot of time. And over time, you're going to get better, but you're not going to, you know, perfectly master it in terms of, hey, every investment I'm going to do is going to be a success. So let's face it, 80% of the investments which you do are not good. It doesn't mean you completely lose your money, but they're not good in general. And VC is and will be a power law. So 3% of the returns or like 97% of the returns are driven by 3% of the assets you're investing in. And this is venture capital. So you actually have one outlier and this one outlier is mandatory or like necessary to have an okay or good fund. And these days it's beyond that. It's rather two outliers, which you have to have. So that that's one aspect. And the second one is here again, being wrong, but being wrong on, you have done investments and you think you can identify the winner. And these are the ones uh, which will drive the return. They will drive the metrics in your fund. And then you're quite surprised that they're not. <laughs> and I think a very good example is when I was talking like one year, one and a half years ago to early investors and gorillas, everyone said, man, this is my outlier. This is my 500x investment. And I'm the luckiest guy ever actually made that investment. And then all of a sudden, things turned out like they're in the middle of like potential sale to a competitor. And looking at the underlying economics, none of them will ever see money because of the liquidation preference of all the other investors which came in after that and the massive drop in valuation. And all of a sudden, the paper value which you have created in your mind, which will make you rich and buy your house in Bahamas is worth exactly zero. So it's a long-term game. And then these companies on the other side, which you didn't have on the radar, which you literally wrote off on paper and said, man, it's not going to work, turn out to be the sustainable ones, the, the ones which are going slow but steady and kind of create a business model, iterate and all of a sudden, uh, they're really cool companies and they kind of exit for like this huge massive value. And this is something which is actually very interesting. More often wrong than right. I'm going to quote you on that. That is some sage advice for sure. So I want to also save some time here and talk about the topic du jour, the, the boogeyman, the elephant in the room, whatever you want to call it, and look at the macroeconomic environment at the moment. As we know, we're kind of living through a very uncertain time. 
in the beginning, I feel like of this downturn, every all the early stage VCs and founders were still very optimistic, but I feel like there's a bit more gloom in the air. And I want to hear from your data and your network, what are you seeing, especially at the early stage in VC? One very particular thing, and it's a very important thing, looking at the past 10 12 years, we've been in a constant up market. So I always try to put it this way. There's a monkeys on Wall Street theory. If you take monkeys, give them darts, they throw in stocks, the likelihood that they will outperform professional brokers actually buying stocks is very high. Because yeah. if you're in up market, it's very hard to be wrong. You have to be very unlucky and stupid. And that's a rare combination. And in venture capital, it's been similar. So even though you're a very bad fund manager, it was still easy to make money because you've been in an up market. All the companies receive money. There's limitless money. Money's gone, you raise more money. That was quite good for VC funds and it was quite good for startups. So even stupid ideas receive money. What we're seeing right now is like tectonic shift in mindset. So the mindset of VCs is changing as fast as the mindset of entrepreneurs is changing. What does that mean is a founder will not go out and sell the next gorillas with very hard unit economics, which don't add up. They will likely sell something with very strong unit economics, something where they can show unit economic profitability, something where they show very strong fundamentals. So they're rather thinking about, okay, the money I raise, I have to deploy it in the best possible manner in order to maximize the likelihood that I can re-raise in 12, 24, 36 months. Furthermore, they're preserving money. So they're not wasting money and just like trying to grow. They just think about how can I maximize my lifeline and my runway. And by maximizing your lifeline and your runway, you A, you're going to probably get out of the recession. That's one aspect. But the other one is you're just going to build a more sustainable company because you're more thoughtful about what you're doing. On the VC side, we're way more diligent. So the FOMO is not there. The market completely changed. It's not a startup market anymore. It's a VC market now. Like two years ago, VCs begged startup to take their money. Now, startups are begging that they receive VC money. So VCs become more diligent. They do better diligence. They think about fundamentals. They think about the next round. They think about who's going to fund that company if I do fund it. And they think about their own ability to kind of refund companies or do follow-ons in case the recession takes longer. So I wouldn't say that they're more hesitant because the dry powder in the market is literally limitless right now. There's a lot of money out there. But we had summer, we had inflation, we're in the middle of a war or like a very big threat for Europe. We have an energy crisis. There's so many multiple macroeconomic factors driving that VCs just say, well, I have four years where I'm going to invest. I can wait half a year. So mm -hmm. the money's there. People are more hesitant. They're more diligent. They're more thinking about which industries work. How can I pivot my own fund into something which is going to be relevant in the next 10 years? As I said earlier, it's a long haul. Thank you as well. It's a great insight. As far as the emerging managers, maybe first-time fund managers go, is now a good time to raise a fund? Is it a good time to get into VC? Or would it be better just to <laughs> wait or build a startup? To be honest, yes, it's the best time in the world to build a fund. And it's the best time in the world to build a startup. Just looking at historic data or like empiric numbers, the most successful funds in terms of returns and the most successful startups in terms of exit valuation and uh, profitability have been built in recessions. Here again, this kind of it goes back to the actual mindset you're bringing to the table and only the brave are building a fund and startup right now because it's the hardest thing to do. But if you crack the nut and if you raise money and if you actually happen to, as a VC, raise money and deploy it in the downturn, in a down market with lower valuations, smaller uh, round sizes, a better VC and um, startup or founder mindset to creating more sustainable startups with strong fundamentals and unit economics, 
the moment where you kind of get out of the recession, you get this like very special progressive hook. And I think that's why you get these outsized returns as a VC. And for a startup, if you kind of know how it is in, in this kind of market environment to survive, well, just imagine what you can do if people are throwing money at you. And that's why I think totally it's, it's the best time, but it's as well on the other side, the hardest thing to do. And it has to be a very wise decision because before you jump into that pool. But now I know what you're pitching your LPs on, I think, Mark. <laughs> some do understand other, others think we're crazy but let's see where this is heading okay we have one question from our community which position would you hire first to your vc fund when you just started it oh boy that's the toughest question ever i have been talking about this for the past days a lot with lots of people especially like emerging fund managers which was the first hire we thought about this question quite a lot and there's pros and cons of hiring either so if you hire somebody rather senior, like a principal, well, this guy is going to knock your door in two years asking to become a partner. That's something you should be aware of. On the positive aspect, well, he brings network, he brings knowledge, he can run deals and he can actually source deals and execute. So you have somebody you can literally put anywhere in the world and they will literally execute because they know how to do it. If you hire somebody rather on a lower level, they are not experienced. You have to manage them. You have to teach them. They can't work by themselves but they're not going to ask you to become partner in two years. So you can kind of carve them, kind of create the perfect investment manager for your fund. And there's like the middle ground solution, which will give you the, the best of both worlds. What I see, most of the emerging funds do pick that one. Is this the right way? I don't know. Uh, it kind of depends on the skill set of the fund managers. And in our terms, I mean, we have three partners. All of us have been in VC for more than 10 years. Um, we've been all operational VCs, angels and founders. So I think we can not only source, execute and, and run deals, we can do it like all the other stuff around it. And we just decided to hire somebody with like a perfect skill set to complement us. And this is the best advice I would give any fund manager. Think about what you can do, what you can't do, and how you complete the skill set for the first year to be like operational after all. Great answer. So we're about done with our time today. I want to really thank Mark and also let everyone know that we have a little surprise that Mark has also, I hope you're as impressed with Mark's knowledge as, as I am, but Mark has agreed to join us on future editions of our podcast. So hopefully you'll be seeing much more of Mark and also his partners as well joining in these discussions. We're really looking forward to that. Mark, before we say goodbye, is there anything you want to pitch or link to or send anyone to? No, it was very cool having uh, all of you on board in this podcast. And so thanks, guys. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening. And a special thanks to our partners. SkyTrain wouldn't be possible without the funding from the European Regional Development Fund and the Berlin Senate Department for Economics, Energy, and Public Enterprises. A special thanks as well to our partners at the Berlin Business Office USA. You can find them online at www.berlinoffice-usa.com and us at siliconalee.com slash SkyTrain. That's siliconalee.com slash SkyTrain. Mm -hmm.